Michael Sonbert and Antonio Vance have held nearly every job in K-12 education. They've coached, trained, and partnered with thousands of teachers and school leaders from over 100 cities and eight countries around the world. They are Skyrocket Educator Training, and these are their informal observations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. I'm Michael Sonbert, the founder of Skyrocket, here with our Chief Schools Officer, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. Really excited about our conversation today. Ready to rock and roll. All right. Well, listen, let's get started the same way we're always going to get started with three questions for the good doctor. The first one, always random. Antonio, what TV show are you currently watching and tell us about it please hmm. i'm watching a lot on tv lots of a lot, lot of time on my hands um especially with the 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 break that we just got back from uh one thing that i do think is interesting i mean i it is a little geeky a little nerdy but i know millions of people watch this show um it's called the curse of oak island and <laughs> it's not scary people usually are like wait what yeah because um, i hear curse and i'm thinking that <laughs> something's going down something's uh, look something goes down it is a <laughs> reality show uh, that's taped um, on an island in the North Atlantic. It's on the History Channel. It is, um, this is my eighth year watching this. I've been watching the show for eight years. And uh, it is a journey, it is almost like a treasure hunt. Um, but the thing I love about it the most is there's a tremendous amount of history. Um, and I'm not typically a history person, you know, I'm a science geek, but um, it really is a well-written story. I know lots of people watch it um, and they are on a treasure hunt to, to find, uh, you know, history. And I'm, I'm amazed by, I think the thing that, that gets me is the amount of um, just amazing things that folks were able to do in the 1700s, building tunnels <laughs> 200 feet underground with, you know, 1700 technology. I mean, it's just, um, it's, it's mind boggling uh, to, to watch this show, but it's got me uh, locked in and can't turn the channel. But so they, they are, and I agree that when you think about some of the technology that folks were using hundreds of years ago, yeah. uh, and even just when I, you think about some of the explorers who just like set off to find new lands, not sure. having any idea what's on the other side of the ocean, it just, there's a, there's a boldness there. Yeah. Uh, and even just around the technology that there's something pretty amazing about that, but I'm just not clear. So folks are actually treasure, they're treasure hunters. That's what they yeah, are. But you know, it's, it, it had the thing that I like about it that has me engaged is that they're using modern technology. So they're not just like digging around. They're using uh, current day technology to really put together, um, the story of, you know, what happened, you know, you know, 300 years ago. And it's just amazing that they, they found tons of little clues along the way um and each each season uh leaves leaves you hanging about you know what what are they going to find um the the next year so uh it's it's a guilty pleasure love it and you know hopefully one day they'll find something interesting this is this is very funny because i, I what, what i've been watching and this is this i think goes to my i have a theory that you and i are like the modern day odd couple um because i am actually not watching anything that uh, has any historical significance or where people have to use their brains at all i am watching uh the the i'm watching the end of the this last season of the bachelorette and so the season is already over but my oh, wife and I are God. catching up on what we missed and it's 
just, you know, fascinating because Claire, who was the original Bachelorette, fell in love with this guy named Dale. And they basically, for the first time in Bachelor or Bachelorette history, they basically just left mid-season. The the Bachelorette's like, I found the guy I'm looking for. I'm leaving. And so then they brought in this woman, Taysha, as the new Bachelorette halfway through the season. And there was all this drama around that new Bachelorette. Yeah, the new Bachelorette came in. And so I think it's... You know, uh, the, the, for folks uh, for folks listening, last week we had a intern and I had a meeting, and we were hung. We were we were meeting all day. It was like a five hour meeting. And so at one point I said, like, "Hey, are you cool if we just break and grab something to eat?" And so he's like, yeah, "Absolutely." And so I come back with ramen noodles, and he comes back with strawberry infused brie cheese with <laughs> like stone crackers. And I said, "We are we are just." So opposite. It's uh, it's it's hilarious, but it works, you know. I thought you were going to say that you were watching uh, Real Housewives of Potomac. That seems <laughs> much more up your your alley, or maybe mine, a little a little uppity. But yeah, I do. Uh, I I have I have uh, I have dabbled with the with the Real Housewives. Um, <laughs> but my, it's really more my wife who's the fan there. Okay, shifting gears. Second question. This question will always be the same every time. Antonio, what's something you've learned? seen or taught recently that'll inspire or resonate with our audience? Hmm, I've seen a lot, uh, especially as the the, the the calendar year ended. Uh, one thing that I thought uh, really resonated and stood out to me, and I'm sure, um, you know, a lot of school leaders can, can relate to this. You know, I, I was working with a school leader and, uh, you know, this school leader is super focused, um, holds really high expectations. Uh, for his school and his leaders and his teachers. Um, and well, we were preparing for a, a, a deep dive. It was a content dive for the next year. And, you know, while we were planning, he said, you know what? I have an idea. I'm going to make a shift. And uh, I didn't know what the shift was until I, you know, I, I sat in to watch. And he actually changed uh, his entire agenda. Teachers and leadership and everyone arrived thinking that they were about to do a deep uh, content and unit plan for for the next uh, for the for, for the next year, and he actually turned it into a a, a murder mystery, a virtual murder mystery uh, for for his team. And Wait, so hold on, uh, folks folks showed up thinking that they were about to do unit oh, yeah. planning, and he basically and he just pivoted and he said, just "We're pivoted." Gonna- and you know, I, he realized you know after we debriefed, um, and I asked him, you know what you know what what you know what caused this? What was you know going through your head? And he said, you know. I know that this work is important, and, and but I sense and I know that folks needed, um, uh, they, they needed a break and we needed a shift and we needed, uh, he needed to be responsive to, to where his team was. And uh, the value, I mean, you could see folks' faces lighting up and just the entire mood change. And people were there to work, uh, but that, that, that shift uh, was just a testament uh, to, to, to what leaders really need to think about and focus about, and that's the people that they're serving uh, and the folks that, that they're leading that, yeah, the work, the, the work is important and our, our students deserve a hundred percent. But self-care um, is, is that balancing part that, that needed to take, take place. And I was really excited um, and happy that he was able to, to do that um, and, and really give his staff uh, the break in the space that they needed. So hopefully that That's- inspires folks to, to really be okay with stepping out sometimes and doing something a little different. That's interesting to me, and thanks for sharing that. Because yeah. what, sometimes what you and I see play out is the 
is the opposite is the like, well, I'm not going to do, you know, folks are tired, right? Like we could, we could, we could say that teachers and staff are tired or overworked, you know, 99% of the, the time throughout the course of the year. Right. And it, 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 it would largely be true. Uh, but one of the things that we work with school leaders around is, you know, how can you frame this thing that you're doing in a, in a way that really makes it matter and resonate with, with staff, even if they are up to their eyeballs in it, which folks normally are. Right. I think that, and, and so very often we're, we're fighting that battle of no, like we're not going to cancel PD for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yes, folks are overwhelmed and we can do better at A, B, and C thing, and you have an opportunity and really a responsibility to make folks better at that thing. And so let's think about how we can design it in a way that's going to have most impact. It sounds like the leader you're talking about is usually that person, but here on this day was like, and folks are there to work and they're ready to dive into their unit plans. And he just pivoted at the last minute and said, we're actually going to do a murder mystery thing instead uh, because he knew that he knew that folks needed that. Yeah, that was great. Hopefully some some good lessons learned. I learned some lessons as well. Um, so I that's appreciate it. That's cool. I, I, I want to share. Mine's a little bit different. I was listening to a podcast last week and uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, was the guest. And I don't know if I ever told you, but Jerry Seinfeld and I are from the same hometown. Did I ever share that with you? Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld and I are from the same hometown. It's funny. Yeah. And uh, he we actually went to the same high school. His gym teacher, I, he's probably 20 or, or 25 years older than me, but okay. we had the same gym teacher. I guess he caught him on the front end of his career and I caught him on the back end. And I only know this because he's referenced in the in the show Seinfeld. Mr. Bevilacqua is the, is the gym teacher. And so um, anyway, so Jerry Seinfeld and I are from the same hometown. That's not the, that's not the important part of the story, but he was on a, a pod, the Tim Ferriss podcast. And um, it was really interesting because they, they, they were talking about Seinfeld's craft and, and like in his as a writer and as a as a performer, and there were a few things that that he shared that really felt relevant for the work that we do, which were with with, with school leaders. One being that Seinfeld talks about he has systems and structures for everything, for when he writes and how long he writes, and and um and 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 even down to like. When he writes something, he won't tell anybody about it until 24 hours after he's written it. He wants 24 full hours to, to sit with something to make sure that to, to, to like go over it in his head. And it was just this really fascinating thing. He referred to, he's like, you've got to treat your brain like it's a six week old puppy, uh, that it needs structures. It needs systems. It needs deadlines. I thought that was really funny because I, I, not that I know much about about his career other than just what I've seen on the show, but to me, I feel like he's this like goofy, funny guy and not this like maniacal, here's how long I write, here's what I'm writing for. And so it really it really resonated with me because we're 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 talking to school leaders all the time about systems and structures. Absolutely. the The second thing that stood out is that he just his, uh, how much feedback he he solicits from people, what he does with that feedback, and and really the the he talks about like getting feedback in the moment when he's when he's when he's doing a performance, right. and he's telling jokes, and that he could tell right away if the laugh is 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 if the laughs are loud enough for him to continue to work on this and refine this and hone this, and it was just a really fascinating idea to me because. 
we see a lot of these comedians after they have their hour of material or 30 minutes of material or their their show is already on you know abc or or, or cbs or whatever it is nbc uh but but what he's talking about is that like that that the time period before you get there mm -hmm. where you are in this constant state of i don't know if this is good let me get feedback on this i'm going to share with somebody or i'm just going to go in front of an audience of of 100 people and try it and if they don't laugh it's not good and we spend a lot of time in our work not only giving and getting feedback from each other and from the people with whom we partner but we're, we're pushing school leaders often to get more feedback from your staff, get more feedback from your leadership team. And I thought it was a really fascinating piece. Michael, I think it's, you know, that's really inspiring because we, we do talk about this all the time. And to hear that the things that we talk about are not just practices because we think they're good or because we think uh, that it's the best way for you to go. But the fact that these foundational practices transcend all sorts, I mean, I would have never thought uh, that a career comedian is thinking about data inputs and taking that data and turning it into action. You know, things that we talk about with, with, with leaders all day. And I, it's just inspiring to hear that these, these practices transcend so many different places and that we have to really incorporate them and build them into, to, to, to everything that we do to be, to be successful. So I, I appreciate that story. It's really Inspiring. Let me know that I'm not just wasting my time talking and that it's real. It's real <laughs> well, this man. this last piece will resonate. Again, this is I'll, I'll end the Seinfeld story here. But the the host asked him. He said, "Like, listen, Seinfeld was the biggest show in the world. It's been voted best comedy by you know X, Y, and Z uh, group and and uh, you know and publications and and whatever. There are a lot of egos on that show. You all were making a lot of money, but famously there was there was there was harmony. Uh, there was very little." Uh, there was very little drama in terms of the staff or in terms of your, all your, your interplay with each other. And he said, why is that? And it, this really resonated with me because Seinfeld said, because I hate discord. And if there's ever discord in anything I'm involved in, I go right to the source of it and we fix it right away. And, you know, sure, he can get he can get away with that because he's Jerry Seinfeld uh, at this point. But he wasn't really always right. He was a, a young comedian who was trying to find his, his way. And I thought it was a really interesting idea because we are one of our mindsets at Skyrocket is walk toward the pain. And we're, we are we constantly work with school leaders around this idea that, like, we've got to walk toward that uncomfortable conversation. We've got to walk toward that classroom where. Uh, you know, the classroom we'd probably rather walk past, which where, where it sounds like World War Three is happening inside there. And, and we know the teacher's struggling. We've got to walk toward that, that, that place. We've got to, we've got to find all those different pieces where they are not up to, up to, up to, up to snuff, up to the level that we've, or up to the expectations that we've set for everybody in our building. We've got to seek those out and, and fix them. And I just thought it was interesting that, you know, to, to your idea that this, to your point, that this stuff transcends sectors and, and uh, you know, and careers. Uh, he basically, Jerry Seinfeld, walks toward the pain constantly. <laughs> and, so, and it leads to more harmony in, in the workplace, which I thought was really interesting. Michael, are you a, are, are you a Seinfeld fan? I mean, I am. I, I mean, I, I am, but I'm not like a Seinfeld devotee. I just thought that it was a really, I just never knew anything about the guy or that we were from the same hometown and that I enjoyed his show. But it was pretty interesting to hear 
just yeah. how focused uh, how focused uh, he is around around what makes what makes what leads to success. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm baffled. I, I would have never thought that 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 a career comedian would you know implement all the practices that we talk about eating that frog right getting in right solving the problem um right away that it, it would have never crossed my mind so i appreciate that that connection yeah man well listen let's uh, transition last question of the day Uh-oh. antonio are you drinking anything yeah, for folks listening if this is your first episode we know that uh, educators like to decompress in multiple ways some hit the gym some uh, some read a book, some go to yoga class, and others like us, we like to have a cocktail or four. And so, Antonio, are you having a drink on this lovely on this lovely day? Not four, one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I am a I, you know I'm a, a gin lover, so I am still hanging on to my Hendrix. I've changed it up a little bit. Okay. Um, I have added, um, and this don't I don't want to hear any fancy jokes uh, oh yeah michael um you know i added a, a dash of uh, pineapple juice and cucumbers and uh i have this re- fairly large uh glass um and it's just full of ice and cucumbers and a tiny tiny splash of pineapple juice and it is um awe-inspiring i'm still waiting so- to hear from hendrix but yeah it, this is my drink of choice well, it's funny, man. You actually inspired me. I've since <laughs> since our first show, I've bought a bottle of Hendrix uh, and uh, Hendrix gin, which we are waiting for the for the the shipments of gin to to come through. Uh, but I just want to be clear. So you are drinking Hendrix gin with cucumber and a splash of pineapple juice. Is that is that accurate? That. <laughs> I have a feeling this is going somewhere else. Yes, that is accurate, Michael. Yes. Well, all right. Just to, just to, to to hammer home my point, I'm also drinking Hendrix gin, but it is oh. on the rocks, oh, straight. Man. And I think this just furthers my point that you are, that we are the odd couple. And I know you don't like when I say it, but you are a fancy, fancy man. Uh, we're with your gin twins today. <laughs> we're gin twins. All right. Well, listen, if you're listening uh, at home, have a cocktail. If you'd like, join us. Let me talk about what we are doing today. This is our second show and what Antonio and I thought would be a, a really cool idea to do throughout, you know, throughout the year and throughout the, the, the tenure of this program is to have these standalone episodes, no guests, but us talking about a trend, one thing that we see in education that you all listening can 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 glean something from, can be inspired by, can can maybe uh, shift some of your thinking around. And so we're going to be doing these throughout, you know, the, like I said, throughout the course of the uh, of this show. And and for tonight, we want to talk about this idea that we hammer home or try to with school leaders and and you know the teachers with whom we work over the course of uh, over the course of a school year and it's this idea of what makes the thing the thing and i'll say that again what makes the thing the thing and i want to share an example uh, from real life that i think is going to resonate with folks when we my, my family and i we were living in philadelphia and then outside philadelphia for for over a decade and then in um in April of 2018, my, my, my middle, my middle child, my son, Teddy was diagnosed with, with autism 
And my wife said, hey, we're going back to New York. That's where my that's where her family is. Uh, and so she's like, I'm, we're going back to New York. You travel all the time. We've got three kids under I'm three kids under four years old. And um, I'm kind of like I'm, I'm kind of here alone. And, and now and now we found out Teddy has disability. Let's go back to New York. And so we, we, we go back to New York and we, we get we get here and we uh, we, we just, we don't know where we want to stay. So we rent a place down by the beach, which we've always wanted to do. And our kids spend the next two years, you know, bodyboarding and, uh, surfing and, and, you know, kind of skateboarding on, on the boardwalk. And then two years later, we say, all right, it's time to put down roots. And so we, we buy a house and we get to this neighborhood and my now six year old, not, not Teddy, but, but Max, uh, I noticed that he doesn't know how to ride a bicycle. Not I notice. I see all kids on the block who all are his age who are riding their bicycles, and I've never taught Max how to ride a bike. We spent those two years uh, focused on, you know, boogie boarding and, and body surfing and stuff like that. And so I'm out there with Max, teaching him how to ride a bike, and we're doing this crash course, crash, no pun intended, but crash course <laughs> in riding a bicycle. And I'm realizing that despite the fact that I know how to ride a bike, and that Max and I both agree that we want that the end goal is for him to ride a bike. Right. I'm realizing that I have no idea how to teach somebody how to ride a bike. And so what's happening is I'm standing behind him with my right hand on his lower back and my left hand up on the handlebars, right, right where his hand is uh, on the hand grip. And I'm saying things like steady, steady, <laughs> careful, careful. Yeah. Right. I mean, easy, easy. Like I am, I'm saying a, a whole bunch of nothing that's not making him any better at riding a bicycle. Mm. And so what I had to do is I had to actually get on my bike and practice riding a bicycle and then backwards map from there and say, Absolutely. Well, 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 what does it take to ride a bike? Right. What are the things that I'm doing right now that I could then teach him how to do? And so it was things like, um, you know, leaning into turns, right? And things like pedaling harder in, in, uh, into uh, inclines and taking and pedaling more softly or not at all, going down declines to keep my speed consistent. Um, things like, you know, my bot, how I adjusted my body weight. And so I'd start to say, like, Max, lean to the left a little bit, right? Your, the bike's going off to the right. And my, my feedback for him and my coaching and then my feedback as a result became so much more precise. And what I did in that moment is something that we, you and I, and our team focus uh, with school leaders and teachers all the time on, but that when it doesn't exist, or, or we work with folks on it and, and, and ideally get them to a place or support them in getting to a place where they can really define what does this thing look like yeah. wh wh when done well? What does success look like? And then how do we get to, to, to the success, right? What are the things, what are the steps we need to take? It totally shifted the way my, my you know, uh, my coaching of Max and my, uh, and his bike riding, how it, how it went. And he was riding a bike in, in two weeks, which I don't know if that's fast or not, but it felt fast. And it's this idea of defining what makes the thing the thing. What does it actually look like? to ride a bike effectively, right? And what does it look like to have a rigorous school? What does it look like to have a joyous school? We say to teachers all the time, be more positive, but have we defined 
what positive actually is? Have we pulled it apart the same way I pulled apart the riding of the bicycle and said, well, positive looks like X, Y, and Z. And so now let's provide training on X, Y, and Z. Let's actually, uh, let's gauge, let's measure whether X, Y, and Z things are happening. We can provide feedback on the, on the back end. And so really for today, what we're going to ask folks to think about in your own practice, are you defining, you know, what makes the thing, the thing for leaders, for teachers, what does success actually look like? Antonio, what, what, what thoughts do you have on, uh, on this, on this topic? Yeah, Michael, you know, I mean, when you first said what makes the thing, the thing I'm, I went to, um, the Marvel cinematic universe and was thinking about, the rock and <laughs> the real thing and uh, yeah, yeah. survive the radiation, but that's not what you're talking about. So <laughs> um, no, what makes the thing, the thing is really around, you know, I find leaders really struggling with that precision in language. And you're right. I hear all the time. Oh, that lesson wasn't rigorous. Right. Well, what were you looking for? What rigor just doesn't mean, Oh, make something harder. Um, right. And I think, you know, I, I'm reflecting on our last podcast and um, Atia did a really great job of helping us think about ways that we can think about those defining moments. So in math, it's not adding more questions and adding more numbers onto the problem, but let's actually think about what concept, conceptual understanding of mathematics looks like. In literacy, let's talk about complex text. And often we get hung up on a word and we use these and and, and they become tropes without real That's definition right. and and you're right in, in our coaching we have to spend more time being precise defining that thing and saying okay well rigor is defined as these three things x y and z and being super clear about that otherwise um it's it's a ship without real clear directions like oh go this way instead of we're on a heading of X, Y, or Z. And so I really appreciated that. that yeah. I, and I think it, it really works on both the micro and the macro level. And I'll give, I'll give an example. I was with uh, a school leader, uh, you know, a week or so ago, and she was providing coaching to a teacher who was having students summarize a text. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to get at with the teacher and this is a really a micro example, but what does a good summary look like? Right. And, and how to, and what, like what should be included in it? And the teacher hadn't, the teacher couldn't say, the teacher couldn't define it. The teacher was saying things like, well, kids are going to read and they're going to summarize. And the, the, the leader was like, yeah, I got, I got it. And it was a very kind and, and, you know, and, and gentle interaction. It wasn't combative in any way, but the, the school leader was trying to get the teacher to a place of being able to define, well, what makes a good summary, right? Let's, we could start with like, well, how many sentences should it be uh, about, right? And, 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 you know, should, should key plot points be or or key story points be included in the summary if so how many should we have characters should we have main characters added or how, how many right like what what would be the coaching that you could provide for a student right. what would be the model that you could provide for a student that would say this is what a good summary looks like and the teacher hadn't hadn't defined that and so if you think about that yeah. that teacher is going to be it's going to be very hard for that teacher to provide any sort of meaningful feedback for students because there's no North Star. There's no place to get to. The, the, the teacher hasn't defined what makes the thing the thing, right? What makes 
a good summary. The same way we'd say, like, what makes a, you know, I made a smoothie, I made a smoothie for, for, for my kids earlier, much earlier today, and I had my ingredients laid out, and it had X, and it had Y, and it had Z, right? And if, like, if I missed one of those things, I'd miss the mark. And so what makes that, what makes that summary effective? And then, so that's like a micro example, and, but that can become a thing because if that teacher hasn't defined what makes the thing the thing for, for most of the stuff in, in her class, and maybe the leader hasn't defined what makes the thing the thing for much of the stuff in the school, right? And I know that that's the case because I'm, I'm working with her. What can happen is that they, there's this school where folks are saying a lot of the right stuff where they're saying we want more joy, we want more rigor, but they, they can't actually define what those things look like. And so they're having these conversations, almost these conversations that don't, that don't lead anywhere as a result. And I, and I think that that could be really problematic. With, I don't think. I mean, you and I see it. Our team sees it. Michael, what, I mean, this seems to go beyond um, things like success criteria and just sort of like naming things where do where do you think the gap actually is? Where's this this gap that's missing? Why are folks sort of okay with leaving things undefined and sort of um, not being extraordinarily clear and definitive about what they want? And it's, it just seems to extend much deeper than you know just having you know a criteria for success, but it, there, there seems to be something even deeper and underlying to that. Well, I think it's a few things. One is, uh, I think it's, I think it's hard. I mean, it's harder. It's, it's harder to do this. I'll, I'll share an example. We, we, we work with a school, for those of you listening, we work with a school in, in North Philadelphia mm-hmm. called uh, St. Malachy Catholic School. And a few years ago, they decided that they want to have a more jo- a joyful school. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of schools want that, and a lot of school leadership teams say that, but what they did was they actually sat down, and as a leadership team, and they got input from teachers as well, they said, what would a, what would joy actually look like? And they created their joy indicators. And it was everything from students smiling to students raising hands to students uh, you know, to students uh, cheering on their, their classmates when they give a great answer or when they're struggling mm-hmm. to, to, to give an answer. And they define, they had these, like this four or five domain joy, uh, four or five domain joy indicator, you know, one pager that they defined and they, and they defined and they redefined and went through multiple iterations. But then what they had to do, so that's step one. And then what they did is they actually provided training for teachers on and staff, and, and they, of course, you know, engage in the training themselves. Well, what are the things we need to do to lead to these joy indicators actually occurring? And so they ran really explicit training on how do we create a more joyful school? And then they engaged in joy walkthroughs where they, where they walked the building, you know, multiple times a day collecting data on uh, wh- where are the joy indicators being met? What, what percentage of classrooms are we seeing? You know, X amount of indicators being met. What are the, they're collecting data on all this? The data is shared out in weekly emails and shared out at, at PD. And then they're providing responsive training for staff in the places where the, the, in the places where the staff can grow in order to inc- increase more joy. And so I, I share that 
example for a couple of reasons. One, because it was just unbelievably inspiring, but that's that's harder to do. <laughs> it's easier to say things like, we want to have a, jo- a joyous school. We want to have a joyful school and everybody nodding because everybody agrees, but then not doing the, the level of work that we're talking about that that school in, in Philly did. And so it's, it's, it's easier to, to not do that. The, the second thing is um, there's, there's a time commitment there. The thing I just shared, I mean, that takes a certain amount of time to do that and to do that well. But I'd argue, and I'd love to hear your thoughts here, I'd argue that it's time well spent. It's the go slow to go fast, right? If we, one of the things that we talk about at Skyrocket is that in, in most places, school leaders are having the same conversation with teachers in, in May that they were having in September. And it's because they're talking very generally about school and about their class. And they're saying, you should try and ask more rigorous questions. You should try to engage more students, but without providing really clear criteria for what it looks like to do those things, without defining what makes those things, what makes the thing the thing, they're having these really general conversations. And so, yes, that what that school in Philly did takes more time on the front end, but it really is that like go slow to go fast mentality where now they're on they're on they're on autopilot with this stuff mm-hmm. because they defined it they trained on it they measured it and they continually do that stuff. What do you what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I mean St. Malachi was obviously intentional about yeah. the thing and making the thing the thing and 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 being absolutely clear about that. What what do you think and it it's sort of and I guess I'm straddling this fence here and and playing, you know, devil's advocate a little bit. But what, what would you or the folks at St. Malachi say to the folks um, that really that that would question authenticity? So, for example, I mean, if my boss came to me and said, I want this to be a joyous workplace and I'm going to be measuring you on joy at work, we would sort <laughs> of look at them a little a little weird. So, you know, what do, what do you what would you or, or what would the folks, um, you know, at St. Malachi say to folks that? would question, you know, things like joy or even rigor and around being authentic measures and how do we define, and when we're talking about um, defining the the thing and talking about it, how do we balance like being authentic um, also with being intentional, like no one will deny that you have to be intentional uh, when you want to see things, you have to measure it, Uh, you have to be um, clear about it. How do you how do you balance? And I think that's where I would struggle is balancing the authenticity. Uh, when you say right, like I want to see kids smiling. Um, you know, what are the subsets? What's the metadata under that that sort of pushes that that authentic level? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I'm not. Uh, I've had to put myself on mute just now because I'm guzzling my gin over here because I'm getting fired up. <laughs> I thought I heard about... something some going on. <laughs> so I hope that didn't come through, but. Uh, no, so it's a it's a great question. I mean, I, I think there are a couple there are a couple of things, and I can't speak to the framing that that particular school provided. Sure. Let's agree on a couple of things. Um, th- if t- to make change, we have to be intentional. We have to define what the stuff is. There's too much. There's too much. There, there are too many just general conversations happening in education. Um, the I I think that there's a um, I believe that there is a a misnomer in education that things are that because of the fluidity of 
you know, hundreds of kids or thousands of kids and families and all these different adults that there are things that, that, that there's just, that there's stuff that's just unknowable. Um, there are effective ways to give, there are more effective ways to give directions, um, that, that folks like you should, you should, you should get kids attention before you give directions, right? We have to agree on that, right? Like you can, you could be somebody who's really, um, you know, really boisterous and really excited, or you can be somebody who's, you know, totally stoic, but we have to agree that we have to get kids attention if we want them to do X thing. Um, and, and so with, with stuff in schools, right? Like we have to agree that, uh, it is better to engage all 26 students in your class than it is to engage three, right? That it is, that is objectively better. And so once we agree on, on, on most things, right? Most things are, are in schools, despite what, well, a lot of what we hear from school leaders and, and, and folks in education, most, most things are, are pretty easily agreed upon. Now, the, the how exactly we get to success there is 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 a bigger challenge. That's the thing that we're talking about here. Let's agree that we want students engaging with really with 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 uh, with material that really pushes their thinking. Let's agree that we want students to respond to each other in class. Let's agree that we want um, you know. Uh, that we want students working, you know, proactively in groups to to solve problems together. The question then becomes, well, how do we define that stuff so we can provide really precise training and coaching about it and uh, around it? And this gets to your this gets to your your question. And and the joy thing, I I, I don't know, right? They they had to they had to at, at some point agree as a team that. Joy could be more, more clearly, de, more clearly visible, or that maybe they're seeing data around student culture that says, uh, or student surveys, kids are unhappy in our school, mm-hmm. or they're, they're seeing kids a lot fighting or arguments or things like that. Um, and so they, they defined what, what, what are the, so, what are the solutions that we're going to provide for this stuff? I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. What, what I can speak to, and I think that this is an important distinction, is this, this blowing up of the idea that things just can't be really clearly defined in schools. And so if we say we want a more joyful school and we say that the, the, the data that we're collecting is actually is, is, is true and it's telling us that our school can be more joyful, right. then we, we can explicitly train on that. And you may get some side, you may get some looks sideways from teachers who are like really so like you want me to like i don't know you want me to after each all group task you want me to shout out three students who are doing the thing really well or you want me to give some praise around around um the effort that students took to get there that you might get some sideways looks there and and i don't know if those are the exact things they might not be but the idea that we can define this stuff and make and make some of this stuff more knowable, I think is an important, important distinction. Absolutely. That make that, that resounds. And, you know, I, I, I often think about when we talk about engagement and, and all of these uh, and naming the thing is it is really the purpose behind it. We, a lot of times in schools and leaders that I work with do things just for the sake of doing them. And we have to stop doing that. We have to stop doing things just for the sake of because I saw a, you know, a school do a turn and talk or this, you know, certain engagement activity without 
really making sure that we have defined it, thought about how it supports the students, and how does it build on what that student needs. And um, I, I love that way that we have to really think about defining things um, in, in more nuanced ways instead of being general and, and hoping for the best. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It's a, I think it's a good segue into really what I, I want to talk about last today is that uh, is around the student engagement stuff that you just started to talk about. I'll, I'll share a story from a couple of years ago, and I, I gave this I gave this teacher this feedback. So I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not. And by the way, we'll never share anything on this show that we haven't said to to a school leader or to a teacher. And 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 so I just want to make sure everybody's clear on that. But I was in a classroom a couple of years ago, and by the way, this happens all the time. This stuff, but. But this one really stood out to me because I think it's a really great example. And the teacher what wanted kids to turn and talk and share how they got to school that morning. And it was going to relate to the lesson in, in some way. I think they were talking about modes of transportation or something like that. Okay. But the teacher says, he, uh, he says, all right, when I say go, turn to your neighbors. We're going to have two minutes. Turn to your neighbors and share how you got to school this morning. And so... The teacher said, ready, set, go. And the two students who I was right next to, one turned to the other and said, bus. And the other, two, the other student turned and said, bus. And they both shared one word. It took three <laughs> seconds. And now they have a minute and 57 seconds left to not do anything. Mm. I looked around the classroom. There were three students who didn't have partners. Right? This is, these, these kids were pretty young, seven or eight. And I'm thinking about the impact on a, on a seven or eight year old when their teacher asks them to do a thing and then doesn't set them up for success to actually do it. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard for, for grownups, right? That'd be like a little bit uncomfortable. Like, Hey, do you, do you want to be my partner? Like, I don't have a partner right now. And here's a, a seven or eight year old, like sitting by themselves, not talking to anybody. And the teacher was, instead of uh, circulating the room to check in on conversations, to push students thinking, was instead like going through a bunch of papers, yep. uh, potentially prepping for, for, for what was coming up. I thought it was really important because this is what we at Skyrocket refer to as cheap engagement. It looks like school. It sounds like school. It even feels like school, mm -hmm. but it's, it's really cheap engagement. There's no students aren't accountable for anything in this conversation. They're not using academic language. They're not building off each other's responses. They're not asking a question. They're not, you know, even something that says, Hey, you're going to share with your neighbor, um, how you came, how you got to school today and whether you think that that's the best way right. to get to school partners. What you're going to do is you're going to ask one question. Uh, after your partner shares, and you're going to be responsible for sharing out what your partner said in our in our share out, right? And so, like even something like that, that that changes the conversation from bus bus to like. Uh, and and by the way, the teacher could say things like, "I'll make sure we're using academic language and this and that," so a student could say, "Hey, so today I, I came to school by bus. Uh, I actually don't think that's the best way. Um, that I'm I'm the first I'm the first stop." It takes me an extra 45 minutes to get here. Um, if I took a skateboard, I'd get here. I'd get here more quickly. The second student says, uh, great. Um, do you have a skateboard? They're, they're asking one question. Do you have a skateboard that you can use? Is that a possibility, right? And something like that. Just all these different nuanced pieces can provide for much more meaningful engagement versus the cheap engagement with, that we're talking about. But school leaders have to define, well, what is it? What is a turn and talk in our building going to look like? Yeah. 
What what makes the thing the thing? What is group work in our building going to look like? Because in most places, it looks like one student doing all the work, <laughs> two students flirting with each other, and two other students taking a nap. Uh, <laughs> like like, but because we haven't defined what's everybody's role. Is there a facilitator? Is there a timekeeper? Is there somebody who makes sure we have all our materials and all those different pieces? And so really on every single lev level here, whether it's school-wide around, hey, we want to have a rigorous school, or on a granular level, which is like, well, how do we write a summary? Yeah. Folks in education would really benefit from this idea of what makes the thing the thing. Yeah. Michael, you know you know, I call that playing school. And yes, that's right. That's I, right. I, it's And I, I will say that, you know, even when we're in a brick-and-mortar school, and, and more so now than ever, um, we see folks resorting uh, to playing school uh, to, to to really think about um, what are the actual engagement activities that are rooted in a purpose and a cause. Um, you know, is it just to keep kids busy? Um, it, you know, I, I hate to think that folks believe that that is quote unquote engagement. Um, yeah. Or are there things that we're doing that help to build, you know, character and conversation um, with the student while incorporating uh, this concept. And, you know, uh, there's a school that I work with um, and they are very intentional um, about defining those engagement activities. And they use the work of um, Emily Style um, and thinking about windows and mirror. And more importantly, they use that, that the idea around um, that when that that comes from the National C Project um, and Emily Style, which is that students walk through the door with the curriculum in hand. So yeah. how do you what do you do? to engage students to bring that out. And so I, I just think about the activity that you just named. And, you know, that that teacher obviously, you know, thought and had saw, you know, folks do turn and talks and heard that this was the thing to do and let's jigsaw and let's use all these buzzwords to engage students when in fact um, not being clear um, and not being, and, they, and, and what makes this thing the thing actually doesn't help students. And in fact, students are probably confused. They're just saying bus and, you know, to what end and to what purpose. And I think that we have to shift more to being intentional about not just including students and, and their lives and their stories, but making sure that they understand why they're doing it, connecting it to the thing, connecting it to um, the to, to the larger place. So I, I know that especially now, uh, given our situation, that is where I'm spending a lot of time with folks is making sure that they're intentional um, and defining those things better. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really, it's a great point. And uh, I, I believe, and you and I have talked about this at length, that this doesn't come from any sort of, you know, uh, you know, lack of belief in kids right, absolutely. Or, or any sort of anything, you know, malicious that folks have not either either they don't know that they should, which is great because that's why folks like us exist. Absolutely. Or they right. do know that they should, but they haven't defined what everything in their building, instructional effectiveness, engagement. I'm talking about arrival, dismissal, like lunch, joy, right? Like Every last thing in the building, po positive praise, right? We hear like leaders saying, you should be more positive with kids. Well, how do, if the, if we want to teach you to be more positive, 
that means that they're not currently positive enough, right. which means they likely don't know how to be more positive. It seems crazy because it feels like that stuff's just innate, but it's really not. And so how are we defining positivity in our school? We'll say that we have a coaching program in our school, but you know, a, a leader will tell us they have a coaching program to coach teachers, but you and I will push and say, great, how long are your coaching meetings? And they, they're like, uh, uh, because your meetings can't be 45 minutes, but your assistant principal's meetings with teachers are 25. Now you all, you all are not aligned. What are the components of a coaching meeting? Are you checking in at the beginning? Is there practice in every meeting? How long is the practice session? And all these different things that we, we're very often, we're, we're saying we do X in our building, but when it comes down to it, it's kind of like we're just playing pickup basketball. Whatever the rules are in the moment, we go with that. And so on every single level, you know, folks would, would benefit, and we're not suggesting nobody's doing this, but most people aren't. Folks would benefit from really defining what makes the thing the thing. If we say we want a more X school, let's define what X looks like, and then let's train people so that X can actually happen. Then we can provide feedback on whether X is happening um, versus, as you and I are talking about, these general conversations about, hey, let's be more rigorous, let's be more this, let's be more that, but, but it not happening. Michael, we make this sound so easy. Is, <laughs> well, is it that easy? Do we just define the thing and now we've solved? Like, is this the panacea to, to school problems? We make this sound so easy. Oh, just define it. Like, well, I think the, you, you and I do have the advantage of having, you know, worked in schools for, for a lot of years and now being folks that hop from school to school. We do have the, the, the advantage of kind of parachuting in and, and, and looking at all the places where things are not clearly defined. Um, certainly school's not easy. And I know you're joking and, and it's, it's probably the most challenging work, uh, in the world or, or at least some of it, but it, it becomes less challenging when we define it, right? I mean, it, it, think about you, think about the two of us in a car together. Uh, and I, and I turn to you're driving and I turn to you and I say, are we there yet? And you say, I don't, I don't actually even know where we're going, yes. right? Like we, we've had, and, and even if, even let's even get more specific. Let's say that I said, let's say that we agreed that we were going to go for dinner. Yes. And I turned to you and we're 30 minutes into our trip. And I say, are we there yet? And you're like, I, what, what restaurant? What's the, what roads am I supposed to take? And so that, that's a lot of what we see playing out in schools. We want to have the most X school and the most Y school, you know, career and college readiness and, and, you know, and, and high rigor and, you know, and student, student to student engagement, all these different things. But have we defined what those things look like so we can provide actual training and coaching around it? Or are they just, are they just the, the, the buzzwords that, uh, that, that, that folks often use? So, um, but uh, hey, man, I mean, uh, if you think, you, you know, well, let's see if we could, if we could, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this certainly isn't, this certainly isn't easy, but maybe yeah. folks will hear this message and, uh, and maybe some folks will shift and make some things, some things easier for themselves. I, I hope that would be the case. I hope so too. And we'll, we'll keep pressing and pushing forward and getting folks to make the thing the thing and define it. That's our work. That's our mission now. All right, friends. Well, thanks so much for listening to us on this uh, episode of Informal Observations. Antonio, is your gin still there or is it all gone like mine is? Oh, no. There's just a, the, the condensed, uh, I don't even know what the word is, the condensation from the ice. Uh, <laughs> a, a nice little puddle left behind, but no, there's no gin left. There you go. A gin puddle is where we will leave you all. <laughs> Thanks, friends. We hope you had an amazing break, amazing holidays if you celebrate. And uh, we are back at it 
We are Skyrocket, with the team at Skyrocket Educator Training, and we will see you next time on Informal Observations. Thanks so much. This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and look out for our next episode.